Welcome to Beyond Queer Stories, the podcast that gives voice to the queer community through the art of storytelling. Welcome everyone to Beyond Queer Stories. Today we have a guest Jay with us. Jay's an MBA candidate at the University of Illinois Chicago. He has a background in risk management and corporate diversity and inclusion. Jay identifies as asexual and has recently began speaking around the South Suburbs advocating for greater dialogue for LGBTQ behavioral health needs. Welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. So I'm really excited um, to hear about your experiences, hear your story today. We always started off with the question, what identities most influence your experiences? Hmm. Well, asexuality, clearly, because that's, that is me. I am, I am proud to be asexual. I guess queer, ace, and Muslim would be the three, because I am practicing Muslim, Mm -hmm. I am queer as hell, and then I'm asexual. So I guess those three would define me and really impact how I see the world. Yeah. How do you feel like they impact kind of the way you move about the world and the way the world impacts you? Oh, well, um, yeah, that's actually, hmm, I haven't thought of that that term yet. (laughs) Uh, It's fun. Um... It's different. It's very different. It's fun to find affirming spaces for all three identities. It's easy to find Mm -hmm. one for, you know, being Muslim or being queer or Mm -hmm. being ace, but to find one that really encompasses all three um, and that understands all three, that's really fun. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard, but also like, you know, you walk around and you're a unicorn. Right. Yeah. So how have you found those spaces? I imagine, like you said, that's not easy to find. Where have you found that space? Uh, so I go to uh, an affirming mom, Masjid in downtown Chicago, nice. Masjid al-Rabia, awesome group of people, and then also online mm-hmm. um, in uh, like Facebook groups and whatnot. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, the magic of social media where you can find those people who are the same kind of yeah. unicorn as you, right? <laughs> All over the world without ever having to see them in person. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to hear a little bit about the work that you do because it sounds, one, really important, and two, challenging. Yeah, no. So um, I just woke up one day and decided that I was done, like, you know, not sharing my story because I had heard enough, you know, in social media and in the media about, like, queer kids who are continuing to self-harm and Mm -hmm. the just the, the problems that we still have. Uh, you know, gay marriage was legalized, but, like, it didn't change mm-hmm. much of social perceptions in the country. Yeah. And so I was just was digging into, like, some statistics and whatnot, and then I had an opportunity to speak uh, in New Lenox at a suicide awareness event. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I'd actually publicly shared my story. And the amount of people that came up afterwards to ask me to speak again, because I, I kind of was, like, pointed about, like, you know, th- we still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the amount of the amount of feedback I got just kept me doing it again and again and again. Nice. Um, so I share my story, which is pretty traumatizing. I don't go into the nitty-gritty details of it, but mm-hmm. I give an over. People, they get the gist of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I share the statistics that, like, what I went through is unfortunately not not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then where we're at, you know, with our 
behavioral health industry, but also the public health sector as a whole, the right. medical community, what the life expectancy is for LGBTQ Americans and why it's that way. Mm-hmm. And how for you know years until like this year specifically or like last eight months, really the medical community was doing nothing to outreach to the LGBTQ community. We've seen some improvements with the AMA. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Rush, Univer- Rush University Health Center has uh, a new LGBTQ initiative. Right. That's great. Why did it take until 2019? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm the It Gets Better generation, so I grew up with that, you know, yeah. false idea that it'll get better one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, I mean, it does to a degree, but, like, we have more Gen Z identifying as LGBTQ than ever before. Right, right. But the suicide rate has not gone down. Mm-hmm. The self-harming has not gone down. It's gone up. So mm-hmm. something is not working. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. I, I speak in the south suburbs where there's very few resources. China, like, Papa, the bubble of progressivism mm-hmm. of, like, yeah, things have changed. But, you know, what is really impacting your kids? Right. Yeah. So what are some of the powerful moments you've had in those talks? Because I imagine there's definitely been some. Yeah. It's always validating when I'm talking um, and the the adults are confused out of their minds, but then their their kids are nodding their heads. Mm, so the families go together? Um, sometimes. So I've spoken to just teens, teens and adults, mm-hmm. and then adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes the, the adults are um, either 100% on board or have never even thought of this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spoken to families who are grappling with suicidal ideations of their adult children mm-hmm. um, and walking them through that that process of, like, it's not your fault. You know, like, there's ways to manage this. There's ways to address this. The first step is to not blame yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spoken to teenagers who um, come out of the closet in high school and the school does nothing to stop them from being tormented daily. Mm-hmm. And providing them with like, hey, you know, unfortunately, that's normal in the state of Illinois. But here's what you can do to you know, own your situation and mm-hmm. keep yourself safe. There's there's lots of moments. Um, I don't know if I can come down to just I guess the, the one was really talking to like the the, the parents of adult children. Um, they're in their 30s or 40s who mm-hmm. come out as LGBTQ. And then their marriages get into a, a tailspin and they, you know, go through the cycle. Yeah. Um, and then helping the work, working with the parents and discussing like, you know, what to do. Mm-hmm. That That is because um, so often we talk about like kids and mm-hmm. I usually just focus on teens. But then we always forget that. Yeah, people can go 40, 50, 60 years. Right. And then discover their real identity and come to terms with it. Right. right. And then what happens at that point? Yeah. Yeah, it's a process. Like you said, we see children coming out and feeling like they are safe and being open at a younger age now, but that's not always the case, and that depends on so many things, right? Demographics, it depends on where you live. Not Mm -hmm. every space um, do kids actually feel that, and then there's, you know, I came out in my 30s, so there's those of us, too, who, for whatever reason, like for me, it was... um, I believe, a lack of opportunity to connect with queer people. They, there just weren't any in any circles that I was a part of. So when it became a point where it was bubbling up so much I had to do something, I did use the Internet. And that was before there were all these apps and social media wasn't really – I don't even know if it was a thing yet. It was in its baby phases, right? So 
we didn't have all these groups and ways to connect. So I was just Googling, gay Chicago, what do I do? <laughs> Where are the people? <laughs> I need to meet someone. And that process even from the day I actually put that in a search bar to the day I actually met somebody in person and then came out was years. And there's access now, but like you said, that doesn't mean that everything's better. Right, right. And it, it does come down to demographics. It, Unfortunately, a lot of our statistics and studies are done around white men, mm-hmm. white, gay specifically men. Right. Um, and it does, you know, there's reasons why that goes down. Um, the last major study that was done nationwide was through the CDC, and it mm-hmm. was published in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was really no major changes between that one and previous studies. So mm-hmm. we can probably assume that it's stayed the same or gotten worse. Yeah. Um, but again, it's predominantly white people uh, mm-hmm. with access who self-reported. Mm-hmm. So the the true story is you just have to, you know, drive outside the city and just mm-hmm. like talk to kids, mm-hmm. talk to people, look around and then put two and two together. Yeah. R- nothing's really systemically changed in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, you know, substance abuse rates have gone up, self-harm rates have gone up. We know that the... The difference, the the intensity difference between the rates for cisgender heterosexual people mm-hmm. and LGBTQ people, are, mm-hmm. there is a huge difference. And so if we know right. the general rate has gone up, we can only imagine what the rate in the community has gone up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it takes, you know, people like you going out there and having these conversations so that there can be some change. You know, like my hope always in doing talks like that is that it has this trickle down effect. And that hopefully then it impacts, like you said, families and more extended family and that people go home and have more conversations. And they're not just walking out of the room and going on with their lives, that they're actually initiating conversations and thinking more deeply about ways they could be affirming and supportive. That's my goal. Um, That is, you know, that's why I do the talks that I do is not to be Dr. Doom. That's my joke to, you know, lighten the mood a bit because I go into some heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really to, like, start conversations and get people talking about things that are beyond the puppies and rainbows Mm -hmm. of, like, the cult of positivity stuff. Like, we have a long way to go still. Things are still not ideal. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that and let's talk about how you individually can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of the feedback I get of people thanking me for talking about it because no one really does Mm. and especially in the south suburbs they really don't yeah so i venture on down there i used to live there Mm -hmm. and i just give some presentations yeah it's it's fun yeah nice so you said you're kind of balancing this keeping it light not getting too dark with it but then there's also some heavy stuff that's really important to talk about yeah so how do you kind of navigate that Comedy, comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love sardonic dark humor, uh-huh. so that's it's dry, and I, I'll I'll just throw in some jokes here and there, uh-huh. um, just to lighten the mood at my own expense too. And that's I always start with my story, and I mm-hmm. make fun of myself and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they see me laughing, then then they laugh, and mm-hmm. it, you know, goes about there. And then if I feel that like you you can see in their eyes too, like mm-hmm. processing too much, I'll throw in some jokes and whatnot. Yeah. Um, just to lighten it. But to a degree, you can do that. But at the end of the day, sometimes you can't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the, the audience needs to be put in an uncomfortable situation. Right. Because predominantly I speak to cisgender, heterosexual, white adults. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes they have to be put into the situation that we all live with daily mm-hmm. before they can begin to process yeah. the reality. Yeah. 
Yeah, that discomfort is often a good sign of some shift happening. Yes. And some reflection happening. And if they don't feel uncomfortable at some point, that's probably more of a concern, right? If right. they sit there like, oh, this is wonderful. Right. You know, like at some point they should be like, oh, shit, this this doesn't feel very good. Exactly. And that that's that's my goal is that they, they recognize that. Because mm-hmm. um, nine times out of ten, I will have somebody ask the question of, you know, we elected Barack Obama in 2008 and then gay marriage was legalized in 2015 and mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. My company has XYZ people of color, people, LGBTQ people in leadership roles. Mm-hmm. We have XYZ business resource groups. So I don't yeah. understand what you're talking about and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I go back to the statistics of we've done all that, but nothing has changed the statistics. Substance mm-hmm. abuse rates are still sky high. Yeah. The, the the rates of opioid overdoses in the community, the rates of amphetamine overdoses in the community, mm-hmm. self-harm, suicide, it is still there. Right, right. So we've done all this surface stuff, but what is really at the root of it that we need to discuss? Mm-hmm. And we do have statistics recently um, from HRC that show that for the first time there has been a, de- uh, a regression a reversal of positive feelings towards the community nationwide. Yeah. Um, and we contribute that to a number of factors. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal feeling is that there was never really an increase in positive feelings. People just, you know, were too afraid to voice how they truly felt. Mm-hmm. And with our current leadership at the national level, they feel empowered, yeah. which is beneficial to a degree we now know. But we, it just begs the question of like, what's the real state? Yeah. Of the community. What's the real state of feelings in the country? Yeah. 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 I think people are often shocked about what the real state is in terms of legislation because mm-hmm. I know when I do presentations, I always bring up, you mentioned HRC, the maps page that they have. And for those of you listening, if you go to HRC and just put maps in the search bar, they have this really cool. A map of the U.S. where you can sort it out by laws. So you can look up what are the laws on housing, what are the laws on workplace discrimination, what are the laws on teaching um, LGBTQ issues in school, or even just talking, saying the word gay in schools. And I bring that up, and I've trained police recruits, so especially there where they feel like we know the laws and like we have affirming laws. And yeah, in Illinois, we're very fortunate, we do. But when you pull that up and you look at the nation, we really don't. We're only at about half percent where it's illegal to discriminate. And when I bring that up to the police, especially and people who are serving in neighborhoods that are close to state borders and especially on college campuses, I try and initiate those discussions about, you know, if you're at an incident and you're going to intervene, you don't know if this person came from a state where they could be kicked out of their house, where they could be fired, they could be kicked out of a school. You don't know why they're reacting the way they are. So to have an awareness about this is really important because this isn't the case in all states. And Illinois is not a very huge state. There's people from all over the country here who may have had some of those experiences. And it's very real. People, like you said, with marriage passing, sure, we can get married, but we can be fired, we can be kicked out of housing, we can be denied medical coverage, we can be denied so many different things. So there's so much more room to go, and equality isn't even close yet. Right. I think it's important to note, even in Illinois, we have legislation. You know, we were one of eight states to ban the gay panic defense in court, mm-hmm. where you can say, I killed someone because they were gay. Mm-hmm. Um, we're one of uh, 24 states to ban um, conversion therapy. 
there's still religious exemption. Not a single conversion therapy ban across the country bans it outright for religious purposes. And most conversion therapies are not through state licensed psychologists. They're through pastors. Right, right. And, and I think that's a critical point to make. I mean, exactly. when the state was passing um, the legislation, they brought in, uh, you know, youth and whatnot to talk about their experiences. And meanwhile, where I used to live in Kankakee, there was a, a a church on a university campus, mm-hmm. um, you can Google where that was, um, who was actively committing conversion therapy abuses on students and on wow. youth. People would send their kids there mm-hmm. at the same time the state's going through their 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 passage, which was mm-hmm. great, but it still provides, there's, no, like, there's an exemption for it, and they specifically mm-hmm. put that in there to get it passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also, um, we are one of a few states, like, you know, most half the country also... Um, you can't be fired for being gay. Mm-hmm. But it still happens in Illinois. People are still right. denied promotions for being gay. Mm-hmm. And they're told, you know, if you're a little bit less gay, we'd consider you for promotion. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's in a side conversation. It's not documented. Mm-hmm. And there's creative ways to fire people for being gay. Right. Um, one, of the, one of my favorite ones is around their tone because that is something that you can track and you can be corrected. And if you don't change your tone, mm-hmm. well, you're insubordinate. Mm-hmm. Right. And the tone is because they're... Yes, mm-hmm. and then you're terminated, and it happens every day across the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we still have legislation, so I think it's a critical point to make that even in Illinois, yeah, we have these like these laws, mm-hmm. but the general perception still right. permeates that it is not okay, mm-hmm. and that we're forced, especially in business, to fit into a specific mold. And if you don't, you're not mm-hmm. being promoted. Right. You you will be reorged, mm-hmm. and it's because you're gay. Yeah, it's so easy to work around those non-discrimination laws, right? Like yeah. you can conveniently not hire, not promote, you know, not value the people who have identities that you want to hold down. And that's why, like, even in Illinois, the unemployment rate of trans people is still really high. So even though technically we have protections, that doesn't mean that when someone goes into an interview, they're not going to be chosen because of that. Because how the hell are you going to prove that? You know, how are you going to actually bring that up and prove that you were discriminated against. So it's really easy for companies to still be very discriminatory. Yeah, and when you talk about like that LGBTQ Americans are the most likely to work in service mm-hmm. where there's no protections, there's there's no health care, there's mm-hmm. no health benefits. It really paints a picture as to why our health disparities are so different yeah. than any other demographic. Yeah. And, and again, it, it's best if you're white and LGBTQ male Mm-hmm. cisgender, heteronormative, mm-hmm. and then the more that you go down from that, on um, down the, the, pyramid of the pyramid of the community, yeah. the worse it is. Yeah. And there's no discriminatory protection. I mean, sure, you know, if you work in service, you can file a lawsuit, mm-hmm. but there's no lawyer's going to take the case because your pay was too low mm-hmm. and you can't afford the lawyer. Maybe you find a pro bono one, but there's no real payout because, mm-hmm. I mean, unless you can prove actual damages, which is very hard to do. Right. Your, your payout's going to be your, your lost salary, which if you're making minimum wage, cool. Mm-hmm. The, where's the lawyer's cut out of that? Yeah. So basically the capitalist system kind of screws the queer community yet again. Right. All that structural system that mm-hmm. kind of keeps people in the place that they've been in for so long. That's where the it, it gets better part can, can be deceiving in some yes. ways because it gets better in terms of you learn how to connect with community. You learn how to find support. Like you said, like within your identities, you learn how to find those people who understand you and your experience and who can be a source of support and connection. But in terms of mobility, there's still all those barriers. Yeah, the gate glass ceiling is like a 
It's a thing. Mm -hmm. It's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are ready for your story time right now as well. So I want to hear what you've got. I'm really excited to to hear a little bit more about you and your story you have for us. Yes, I want to talk about, like, my identity as being asexual. Um, We're, like, 1% of the population. We're 1 in a 100. We're literally unicorns. It's pretty awesome. And, like, how I how I discovered that and then how I came to accept it. Because just because you know you are doesn't mean you accept it. Um, and then, you know, how I've seen the community change and how I've seen the larger community, large LGBTQ umbrella, come to terms with the fact that asexuals do exist and we are an entirely valid sexual orientation. Um, so I grew up, I was, I was, I was raised Southern Baptist, um, like casserole, like, you know, in Southern California, this was kind of weird. Um, but I was raised Southern Baptist in a very homophobic household. Both the kids are queer as hell. Nature, nurture, you do the math on that one. <laughs> of course. Uh, my sister and I make all those jokes. It's so much fun. But yeah, I mean, I thought that, you know, everyone was like me. I, you know, I've, to this day, I've never had like sexual feelings, but like sexual attraction. So I know what it is now. Um, but like, you know, I just assume that everyone else didn't feel anything. Uh, and so it was always weird, like in middle school and whatnot, when... The, the boys are having their conversations and then the girls are talking about the boys and like, yeah, I can appreciate someone's like very attractive. And so like, I always thought like when someone says, oh, that, that girl's hot. I'm like, yeah, yeah, she's very attractive. Like, yeah, clearly. Like we're not, we're, no, we're not, you know, blind. Um, <laughs> but it just was weird going through high school and whatnot and not that I'm not sexually active. Uh, and that was also a weird, weird thing too because I'm like, oh, I must be like everyone else because I'm also, I, you know, I have sexual, you know, desire to do things. Um, and it wasn't until much later that I learned that, you know, those are two separate, separate concepts. One's physiological, one's psychological. And, you know, I just did my thing. I did pornography and all that fun stuff. And my dad walked in one time and found porn in my room. I was hiding it and I was in the process of hiding it because I was smart. I would print it out, print out photos and whatnot. I wouldn't do videos because I was like, ah, it's too much, too much effort. So I would just <laughs> download pictures and stuff. And I would print it out so there's no trace on the computer. I was really smart. Well, he found me hiding the pictures, and he found a whole stash of it. And he was like, oh, I'm I'm not going to tell your mother if you don't do it again. Well, clearly I did. Um, And I was even smarter this time um, where I use hidden folders. And I I must have had, like, I don't know, 800 megabytes of stuff, hidden folder in a hidden folder in a hidden folder. And I was like to myself, like, oh, this is genius. It's, It's been the matrix down but the problem was it was a new folder inside of a new folder instead of a new folder so all you had to do was just open each folder and he discovered what hidden folders were he's like oh what's all this random stuff and like i said it was like 800 megabytes of and then he found the stash he was like i told you not to do that um so then my parents uh sent me to conversion therapy at a church um and going through conversion therapy like people always think conversion therapy is you know the electrodes we're going to electrocute you and whatnot, but um, the religious conversion therapy is the pray the gay away. Um, and I think the most um, traumatizing one is when the church says it's okay to be gay, you just can't act on it. And that, that does a, like a whole number to you. And a lot of religious you know, or professionals do that. Um, they're like, oh, we're super progressive. It's okay to be gay. Just, you can't act on it. God has blessed you with this burden that you must bear. Yeah, okay, yeah, let's do the math on that one. I mean, you know, David was clearly straight with Jonathan. Anyways, and it was weird going through these sessions being asexual. 
Because like I was because like, they were like, do you sexually attracted men? I'm like, no, they're just hot. Like women are hot too. I just you know do gay porn. Like why not? It's something about it is arousing. Same as straight porn. I just you know prefer that one. And it, it was it was just was a weird 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 like you know process because they didn't really know what to do and I'm just like not playing ball and whatnot. It was fun. Ended up, you know, having great conversations, worked through some other trauma I was going through and whatnot. But the the process of, like, that whole pray the gay away, but then it's okay as long as you don't act on it, was like, you know, I, I'm not gay, so what can I pray away? But then they're like, but you're acting on it. I'm like, but I'm really not. And so it just it played into this whole, like, wow, in my brain. So then I went to college. And then I went through another conversion therapy through the psychologist on campus, which was really fun, too, because that was a more like, let me help you help yourself. Because I was, I was suicidal and whatnot, all that fun stuff. And they were like, oh, you're suicidal because, because you're ashamed to be gay. I'm like, but again, I am not gay. Like, <laughs> there's no part of my body that is sexually attracted to anybody. And they didn't know what to do with it because, like, you know, they, they literally had no concept of what asexuality was. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't until recently that they actually taught it in school. And that the, um, it was, like, removed from the DSM as, like, a sexual disorder. So, and this was, you know, 10, 8, 7, some many years ago. Uh, and it was, you know, no one knew what it was. Um, so going through that was super fun. And then I tried to, you know, date someone and it didn't work out. And I was like, hmm. And the way that they were talking to me was like, wait a minute, I don't feel about them the way that they feel about me. And I thought it was just like, oh, I hadn't found the right person yet. And I it just went through that whole thing, and that fed into, like, my depression and my suicide. I'm like, something is wrong with me personally because everyone is getting married, everyone's ring by springing, and I'm not. Something is wrong with me. And um, was at a conference, and I met someone. We just were chit-chatting, and that was when I first heard about asexuality because we just were, like, just having a long conversation about, like, he was gay as hell. And I'm like, I know I'm not straight. But I'm also not gay. And he was like, well, have you heard about asexuality? And I'm like, I am not a cell. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm not a plant. I mean, my last name is LaPlant. But like, you know. And he was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's an actual thing. And so I Googled it. And I found AVEN, the Asexual Visibility Network. And I was like, huh. Huh, this is something that, you know, makes a lot of sense to me. And then I was like, okay. And that's when I started learning about doing my own research of like, what sexuality is, what romantic attraction is, what sexual attraction is, how they're completely separate things, and arousal is different than attraction. It just helps you do things. And I was like, oh, yeah, because when men are turned on by a high heel, they're not sexually attracted to the heel. It just triggers a response in their brain, which is what pornography does, which is what someone touching you in the right way will do, which just triggers it, which is what arousal is. And then if you happen to have a sex drive, you know, they work together, but it has nothing to do with attraction specifically. Um, and we all know that at three in the morning at a bar. Yeah, we all knew that. And so coming to terms with that and recognizing like what that what that meant for me was really uh, a fun part of my undergrad experience, my first undergrad experience. Uh, and that's when I came out. I was actually in a gender studies class. And I was like, oh, we were talking about, um, we had just come to the topic of sexual orientation. And so I was like, oh, this is my time that I can come out. I can come out as asexual. And nobody knew what it was. And when I came out, they lambasted me because I was hurting the Cartesian eye 
of the whole oneness of what it means to be a human being. I was like, wait, what? Like, this is supposed to be my moment of like, you're supposed to validate me that like I've identified who I am as a person. They're like, no, what you're doing is detrimental because you're dichotomizing what it means to be a human. I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of like the point. Like, mm -hmm. the more identities we have, the more we understand about ourselves. Mm -hmm. That way we're able to cling to something and be able to build agency. If you're just cisgender heterosexual, you'd never had to do that. And, and it was it was a lovely, lovely conversation that had me very hot and heated. And I waited until the very end of the class to get hot and heated so that I could have a dramatic exit. Pretty awesome. Put my hood on, put my earbuds in, and just stormed out the door. Everyone's jaws were like, Ugh. And it took me a while to fully, like, I mean, I knew what I was. I knew I was asexual, panromantic asexual. Like, I knew that. And it took me a while to, like, a couple years afterwards to really accept it. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, I knew it was a valid identity. Uh, I had found um, a network on Facebook. I had made some friends. And that was all well and good. But, like, coming to accepting that I myself was valid to myself as asexual took a number of years. Um, the The support groups on Facebook started out as, like, I think there was, like, an asexual community group on Facebook that I don't know if it still exists or not. But there was a lot of issues with it. Um, and then out of that spun off the thing literally called um, an A-Space support group. Um, and I remember I was part of it from the beginning. It was like 28 of us. It's mm -hmm. so now, I don't even know, it's a couple, like 2,000, 3,000 people. It's quite big. Um, and it's just a global support group for asexuals. And we, we have conversations in there. We support each other. Someone experiences something. We celebrate marriages and we, we cry over divorces and breakups and whatnot. Um, and that played a big role in my own validation with myself. I was validated in the group because mm -hmm. the asexual umbrella is extremely diverse. We have our own sub-orientations too because if you look on the spectrum, like you have allosexuals, which is, you know, gay, straight, bi, and then you have asexuals and we have our own breakdown from there. And so we have, we have had long conversations um, and then side conversations and Facebook Messenger and all this, this fun stuff. Um, and so social media really to me, holds a place in my heart of, like, the power that it holds to connect people. Mm -hmm. Because when you are marginalized, when there is no one else around you who knows what the hell this thing is, finding people on the other corners of the world who are also that really does save lives. It really does, um, like, bring a light to the darkness. Um, and when I first came out, asexuals were attacked at Pride events. The LGBTQ community refused to accept that asexuality was a valid queer identity. And we still have issues today with that. But um, we were booed out of Pride events. We were assaulted at Pride events. Uh, there was a lot of um, harm that went on, too. Uh, a, a lot of lot of harm that went into that. And people, you know, a lot of people viewed it as, like, we're forcing celibacy on somebody. And being queer means that you have lots of sex because sexual liberation, like, that's not what being queer means like if that means right. it to you that's cool but like being queer just means you're not you know this mm -hmm. means you're something else and we're an awesome community and so there was like a in the ace in the ace community there was a um a division between like those who identified as lgbt mm -hmm. and then those who identify as queer and we always have always had more of a bend towards um the bi community the trans community mm -hmm. um people who also are marginalized um let not with gay men for obvious reasons of the power structure and whatnot. But yeah, it's there's a number of like Tumblr and whatnot. And through these social media groups, we've been able to create our own labels and our own valid that are now used 
around the world as actual like sexual orientations were de were developed on social media. Yeah. People just putting you know words together or like Greek words and like this is what it should mean. This is how I identify. And psychologists have picked up on it. Um, and watching that develop was absolutely fascinating. That we created our own community, our, our own identity online together because no one else wanted to deal with us. Um, and seeing where, how far we've come, where um, we have ace characters on social, on, on television shows and in movies, and there's books, and I mean, there's even like smut novels that are asexual. And I'm like, that's, when else, like, how else would you have that if you didn't have a vibrant community pushing for this? And even more, like uh, with Riverdale, uh, where, you know, in the Archie comics, there's an asexual character. And then when they made it into a TV show, they didn't make him asexual. And then the actor came out and insisted that this is how it should be. We wouldn't have had that five, six years ago if we didn't have a group that was continually to connect with each other and grow and expand around the world to really bring asexual sexuality into, you know, its own. And watching that go down, watching that happen, experiencing my own trauma and finding the community supporting me through that really helped me find my own validation that it is I am enough as an asexual person. Mm -hmm. And that if people can't accept that, I don't need those haters in my life anyways. Yeah, social media is awesome. And I mean, also through that, I, I found my business partner too. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we're two asexuals who, who work with nonprofits. It's it's, it's it's its own community that we've created and then we do business ventures and we mm -hmm. you know, do awesome things. I mean, I've seen people in the group like find love through the group. It's, mm -hmm. um, the, these, these online spaces are absolutely critical. Because, again, we're 1% of the population. Well, well, thank you for that. I appreciate you letting us know what that journey looked like for you. And like you said, social media, the ability to connect with people around the world now and having that as a resource is so vital to that v validation of identity and being able to make those connections. So those spaces are really important. Like you said, someone 20 years ago who was trying to figure this out probably wouldn't have even come across the word asexual. No, they would have been like, like my initial response, I'm not a cell. Right. I'm not yeah. a plant. Yeah. Yeah. What is this thing? So I think another important part of this conversation, and especially for people listening who don't know as much about asexuality, because it's a privilege to not know anything about it, right? Like mm -hmm. the thing that we hear about the term asexuality, when we hear it in media and being referenced is that asexuality means that you have no sexual attraction, you don't have sex, you don't want to have relationships with anybody, and we know that it's way more complex than oh, that, yeah. and that that's not accurate for probably the majority of asexuals, yep. would you say? So what would you tell people to kind of give them that ability to actually understand the way that someone who's asexual experiences things like wanting to have sex, feeling connection with others and all of that, because people put this blanket assumption on the asexual community that's very misleading and yeah. not true. A lot of that, you know, comes to our social expectations of what a relationship is right. um, and what sex means. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, thank you, Disney, we, we have this, this mythical concept of a relationship mm -hmm. of two people just going at it. Mm -hmm. um, and that you have to go at it to have a relationship. And that by going at it, you have to be sexually drawn to the person. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at the animal kingdom, you, mm -hmm. you, you don't. And again, three in the morning at a bar, you, mm -hmm. you also don't need to like that person. Oh, that's, 
Sorry. When you said that, it made me remember those <laughs> cartoons when I was little where, like, the character looks at some other character that's often an animal and, like, their eyes turn into hearts and it, like, yeah. bubbles out of them. And Twitter it's, like, immediately, from right? <laughs> you look at them, your heart explodes out of your chest, you have this intense attraction yeah. and you want to just go bang them, right? Like, yeah. that's how it always works, right? And that's no. totally not at all how it works. <laughs> I mean... I, I will say the asexual community is not a monolith. Right. And so there are those in the community who experience no sexual attraction, mm -hmm. who don't want any connections with people. Mm -hmm. But there's also those people in the allosexual community. There is mm -hmm. plenty of gay people mm -hmm. who experience no sexual attraction. Yeah. So I mean, those who, no sexual desire, excuse me. Allosexual specifically means? Not asexual. Mm -hmm. Asexual means you don't experience sexual attraction. Allosexual mm -hmm. means that you do. Mm -hmm. So on, on, a, on a continuum, mm -hmm. you have asexual on the left. Mm -hmm. You have allosexuals, everything on the right. And that's, you know, heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, mm -hmm. heteroflexible, all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then in the middle is um, demisexual, mm -hmm. which means you experience some small semblance of what could be considered sexual attraction. <laughs> right, yeah. But generally only after... Uh, you have a deep commo emotional relationship with somebody, a deep connection, yeah. and then also um, gray sexual where you experience it so small mm -hmm. and it's so irregular mm -hmm. that it can't be, you know, you can't consider it to be, you know, that Twitter-pated yeah. thing. Yeah, um, that's obvious. Yeah. yeah, so we're not a monolith. We all, you right. know, we're normal people. Yeah. Um, those of us who choose to have sex choose to for different reasons. Just like everyone else does. Mm -hmm. We just recognize that because it's so in our flight, you know, we don't experience sexual attraction to that person. Mm -hmm. We do it for many other reasons. Just yeah. one of them is not because we're sexually drawn to them. We're yeah. drawn to them for other reasons. Like you said, everybody else does too, right? Like yeah. how much do you hear straight, cis, hetero people talk about trying to have a baby and timing the time that they have to have sex because they're fertile because maybe they are struggling with conceiving they're not having sex just simply for pleasure in that moment like they're having sex for a purpose of having a child yeah, I mean, and asexual people i don't know maybe want children too at some point and maybe yeah. choose to have sex for those reasons or other various reasons right some do some don't even like having sex just for pleasure it's like something that we all can do yeah um i mean just go to any frat house and they're just trying to count the amount of people they sleep with it's not that they're, you know, that they have a connection with that person. Mm. Not, certainly not how they talk about the person they have a connection with them. Yeah. <laughs> and they just, you know, sleep with whoever they want to sleep with. Mm. And I think that the more that we have conversations about this, the more that we can break apart, you know, attraction and arousal and yeah. desire. They're, they're separate mm -hmm. things. The more we understand more about ourselves mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, it could be helpful for anyone to, like, really reflect on the people they've had sex with, and then what are the reasons they had sex? And what percentage of those reasons were majority just attracted, attraction, right? Because once you do develop a relationship with someone, it becomes so much more than that. Mm -hmm. And I would probably even guess that most people don't only have sex for purely just attraction unless it's a hookup, right? Or you are just trying to hook up and, yeah. you know, it is just for a sexual purpose of... I feel attracted and I want to just like have sex tonight. But often it's 
because you feel a connection, because you feel like maybe you have something in common, you can have good conversations with those people, you feel like it's someone you can trust and connect with, it's so much more than just a physical attraction. Yeah, and I mean, I like do want to point out that you can hook up with someone because you think they're physically attractive too. Mm -hmm. And you can hook up with someone because you need a release. Yeah. Or you're just horny. Yeah. And that does not mean you're sexually drawn to that person specifically. It's so much more layered. It is. It's like a cake. <laughs> and yes, asexuals would rather have cake. <laughs> oh, I have heard that joke, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's yeah, <laughs> what's better than sex? Cake. Um, I mean, in the community we often boil it down to just like, ah, oh, we don't have sex because mm-hmm. it just it makes it simpler to talk to people. Yeah. But it's so much more nuanced than that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other piece that you uh, mentioned, too, is the romantic side of it, right? Mm -hmm. So there's also a whole other set of identities to describe someone's romantic attraction. Could you talk a little bit about that piece, Yeah, so romantic attractions, are they just the the same as sexual orientations, the romantic orientations? Mm -hmm. Um, So like heteroromantic, homoromantic, biromantic, aromantic, where you experience no romantic attraction whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And all it means is it's the same thing as a sexual orientation, Mm -hmm. just romantically. Mm -hmm. So that you want to have a romantic relationship with somebody. You're attracted to them romantically. You want to, like, do cute shit with them. Um, There's also sensual attraction. And then there's aesthetic attraction. Mm -hmm. So aesthetic attraction is, like, yeah, that's a really attractive person. Mm -hmm. Sensual attraction is I really want to feel them up. I want to cuddle with them. I Mm -hmm. want that, you know, touch, touch, touch. Um, Romantic attraction is let's go on a date and let's go on a under the stars. Let's talk about our lives. Let's find if our signs line up. <laughs> and then sexual attraction, from what I understand, because I've never experienced it, mm-hmm. is like just looking at that person. I need it. I need it. I need it. Tap that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's your yeah. only thought. And yeah. for people who are allosexual, who are not asexual, mm-hmm. it all blends together. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's missing for asexuals, unless you're gray or demi, the only thing that we don't have is that, like, just looking at someone being like, just by looking at them, like, I need to tap that. Mm-hmm. There's a, We look at the other factors that go into it. Mm-hmm. And we still leave fully functioning, healthy, happy lives. Those of us who want to have sex, we get our sex. Mm-hmm. Those of us who want to have relationships, have relationships. And it's just we, the only thing that we don't experience is that sexual direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I had never heard about the sensual piece of it, which is interesting to think about because... That is different than the sexual piece mm-hmm. of it, right? And I never thought of it in terms of separating that out. Because like you said, like as someone who doesn't identify as asexual, it blends together and it just becomes this big blurred thing that we tend to just lump together as one type of experience and one type of feeling, but it does break down into more layers. And then it makes me think about kind of like that fluidity and how that shifts Mm-hmm. within people because there might be moments where there is more of just a sensual connection and you want to have that sensual connection you don't necessarily want to have sex with that person and it's interesting to think about i never really broke things down like that mm-hmm. yeah yeah so you said you have this community that's really grown online yeah right? so being able to connect and around the world really see people live their asexual lives, like you said, get married, find connection, get to know each other. What does that look like for you here in Chicago? What does your experience of the asexual community look like here for you? We do exist here. 
We do, and I want to say there's six thousand two hundred twenty-two people in this nice. this one ace group. When I, I mean, we started it's small. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I was like several thousand. Yeah, we're six thousand strong. In Chicago, I mean, we do exist here. We we chit chat with each other. There's actually a great Instagram account called, um, I believe it's called Ace and Grace. That's um, a Shabby's account. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Former co-host of Beyond Core Stories. Yeah, Ace and Grace. So. Yeah, and it's a great, yeah. it's a great Instagram account. And we we chit chat with each other. Like, there's Ace meetups that happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it, we just live our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, not all asexuals want to have an asexual cohort. Because it's kind of isolating to it in in its own self. I mean, like, very rarely does any other orientation do that. Queer people, though. Queer as an as a community do. Yeah. But like, you don't have a group just because you're heterosexual, just because you're homosexual. Lesbians do pretty often. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. man, that must I've, be awesome. So I've even had these conversations with friends where like, so I identify as queer. I do not identify as lesbian. That is not my experience. That is not how my attraction works whatsoever. Like mine is much more fluid. I'm more attracted to people who are either women or trans or non-binary part of that umbrella. I'm basically exclusion, <laughs> excluding cis hetero men that's very rare like occasionally but it's very rare and i've had conversations with friends who identify like as lesbian i'm straight up lesbian no other attraction in there and i want my space of just having lesbian women in a room and to the point where it has become a conversation within the community of how are we identifying these people and when is it problematic because there have been times where it's been problematic and they've excluded trans women yes. who identify as lesbian because there are plenty of them out there. Um, but there are definitely groups of lesbian women who have just these lesbian cohorts or even are friends mainly just with other people who identify as lesbian. Huh. I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah, yeah. I, For me personally, I don't. I mean, I have friends who I've met through like the ace spaces. I mean, like my business partner, I found them through, through there. But yeah, I, I, you know, I just personally for me, like I don't want to have friends just because they are mm-hmm. ace. I want to, I don't want to have friends just because they're queer. Right. I want to have like a community of people around me who we share a common vision for the world, a vision mm-hmm. for our own lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that is that is just me, and I did, I guess I did project that on the <laughs> community as a whole. But it is, it is. I mean. Because we're one in, we're one in a hundred, and still people don't, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. there's people all over the street. We walk down the street, and plenty of people are asexual. They may not know it, yeah. or may not want to come out, or may not want the community itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, I know we don't really have like big events because we're such a small group. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would be cool. It'd be cool to have like a you know like a thing that happens all the time, like yeah. you know. A literal ace space. A literal ace. We have talked about that. We have talked about that a lot um, in, in, in on the online spaces of, like, having physical locations of, like, and it's, like, usually like a cafe that's open 24 hours. Yeah. Um, which would be super cool to have, like, a queer cafe that the kids can come to that yeah. doesn't serve any hard liquor that's open we 24 need hours. We spaces like that. Because, I'm sorry, where are you going to find 24-hour space in Chicago that doesn't serve liquor? Yeah. Nowhere. Mm-hmm. We're all functioning alcoholics here, mm-hmm. which is fun to a degree, but it's really problematic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we, we've thrown those things out. But yeah. Yeah, I guess like you're a question, like to me, it's just I just live my life. I do yeah. me. 
Um, I have my, my friends and I have my own like spaces that I go to and whatnot. And I, I don't, you know, I mean, I wear an ace ring, but no one knows what it means. Half the time, people think I'm married. Oh, what is the ace ring? So an ace ring, it's a black ring on your right middle finger. And it's okay. just a sign to all other aces out there that, cool. oh, this person is family. Nice. To the rest of everyone else, they don't know what it means. Yeah. And a lot of people just, they look at it and they're like, oh, you're married. I'm like, no, it's the That's wrong, not it's the, the wrong finger. <laughs> the wrong hand, the wrong finger. It could be the right hand in some cultures. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I've been told uh, in like glow, like Europe, European and other, mm-hmm. other parts of the world is they were on the right ring finger and then Americans mm-hmm. on the left. And I don't know why that happened. Maybe it's yeah. the, the way you drive on the road. I don't know. We just like to do everything opposite to make yeah, life difficult. Um, but yeah, they just glance like, oh, you must be married. I'm like, no. And it's on dates I've gone on. People have like assumed that. I'm like, just because it's a band. Because it's a band on a finger. Yeah. And it's the only one I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I call it my... Did um, you change fingers to deceive someone before yeah, you went into right? the date? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like joke that it's like it's, it wards off all the fuckboys. <laughs> At a bar, they just like, they're eyeing me up and they see a ring. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. Because black bands are common now for wedding bands anyway. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the ace ring is the right middle finger. Um, cool. And so I wear that. I just, I mean, I, I don't really like when I'm going on a date with somebody or even in like my dating profiles, I don't like come out and be like, hi, I'm asexual. Because mm-hmm. it, it's exhausting to have to then explain to somebody what it means. And then they're questioning themselves and they're like, oh, well, then you must not find me attractive. I'm like, no, that's literally not what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big, it is a conversation we have in the community of like, when is it appropriate to mm-hmm. come out? Because ace, aces have to continuously come out. Um, there's no like stereotypical like what an ace person looks like. Right. So yeah. we, we can't even like rely on that problematic stereotype. Yeah. So it's a constant coming out. Yeah. And there's like, lots of conversations of, like when is it appropriate to do that? Mm-hmm. Should we ever have to? Is it anyone's goddamn business? And I'm of the persuasion that no, mm-hmm. it's really not. I mean if someone's asking me what it is, I'll tell them what the ring means. And then we'll have yeah. that conversation when we have that conversation. But it's like – it's no one's business what my identity is Mm -hmm. unless I want to make it their business. And Mm -hmm. if I care about someone enough, I'll tell them, like my friends know. Um, And anyone that I would actually be in a serious relationship with would know. But it's not like a first date conversation. Just mm-hmm. like my credit score. I like thinking about like your credit score. <laughs> you don't go out there and share your credit score unless you have a 730. Then I want to know that right away. Uh, <laughs> but if you don't have a 730, like, you know, you don't share your credit score until like, you know, six months later. Uh-huh. Like, and that, it's, it's something similar, like along those lines of like, no one needs to know mm-hmm. how you brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. No one needs to know any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you feel it's important to share, you do that. I don't think it is. So... How have you navigated those conversations when you are dating or in relationship with someone? When do you decide to bring that up? Or how do you know when it feels like it's time to tell this person? Yeah, so sometimes I never told them. Okay. Because it just was like, it was one of those types of relationships. But also it's like, yeah. again, it's none of their goddamn business. And mm-hmm. like had in previous conversations, I've known that they're not really open to anything beyond heteronormative concepts. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Cool that's fine, you do you, we just won't, you know, have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'll, I'll still refer to myself as queer, like, I just, you know, because I'm not gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and LGBTQ is a mouthful to say every yeah. time. So, I mean, I'll, we just don't have the conversation. Other times we will have a conversation, and usually that's because I know they're open to it, they're okay with it. Mm. Um, and they have a better understanding of, like, the nuances of the community. Mm-hmm. But I've never dated somebody who actually fully gets it okay um you the last person that i dated that did have an understanding assumed that therefore we would not be having sex so what are the signs that let you know that someone's going to be open 
to that conversation. Like you said, like mm. you had it when you know that they're probably oh, going to kind of get it at least. Would it? Okay. Um, hmm. What does my ACE radar say? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Number one, how they talk about um, bisexual people. Mm-hmm. How they talk about the trans community. Like, those are two giveaways right away. Okay, if they yeah. can't respect anybody, like a bisexual person or anyone in the trans community, if they cannot respect them, mm-hmm. then they're not going to even be open to the concept of that. So that's the first one right off the bat. The language they use, even when they refer to the trans community or anyone who's not cishet, mm-hmm. that's also critical. I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head, but, like, just there's certain, like, terminology that they will, or, like, mm-hmm. the hesitancy to... You know, to use someone's pronouns. Like, come on, mm. it's not hard to... <laughs> it's really not. You can also have a whole conversation and never use a pronoun. Right. Like, come on. Those are some like, okay, all right. And mm. also like when they're drunk, mm. the jokes they make and the things mm. that they say, you can, you can, you know, you can tell if they're open to it yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. Those are good things to look for. Yeah. And I think that yeah. applies to anyone across the board. Like, because right. everyone has parts of themselves that they're not comfortable feeling that is... Mm-hmm. Like and, and that's a conversation the community is like, asexuality is your identity, it's who you are, you're hiding yourself off. We all hide ourselves off from people until we're mm-hmm. most comfortable. Mm-hmm. And we all look for telltale markers yeah. to be, oh, is this person okay sharing? Am I okay to share this with somebody? Mm-hmm. And we can be best friends with someone for 30 years and never share a specific part of our identity with them mm-hmm. because we know they're not open to it. Right. Yeah, and I think even within the queer community, it's important to look for those red flags, right? Like, mm-hmm. there are way too many people who do use derogatory language who are not inclusive of all of the people in the community. And those of us who want to actually say that we're open and we advocate and we support everyone in the community need to be aware of those comments when they come up or the way people talk about excluding trans people i've had some really hard conversation with friends who are like i just don't get trans i don't get that idea identity and those are people that i've had direct conversations with and then honestly eventually distance myself from because that's an important quality to me just in people that i surround myself with so those are really good markers to kind of look out for and know really like you're going to be safe, right, in, in yeah. sharing that part of yourself. It's understanding, like, what is your barrier? Because some people mm-hmm. don't have a problem with someone. Because, like, terminology is such – it's a very diverse, divisive topic. Mm-hmm. Some people are okay with the word fag and faggot. Some are not. Some people in the community re- refuse to be called queer because, to them, it's traumatic. Yeah. Others, yeah. like, piss up. Like, I'm queer as hell. Right. Um, I personally don't have a problem with the word fag or faggot if it's used in the community. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Now, if some straight person in the street yells it, I'm going to laugh at them. Like, that's that's your – all you're going to give me? Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, have some imagination here. <laughs> I can think of 15 worse things to call me than that. Um, like, but I don't have a problem with it. And But if someone else does, then we probably shouldn't be, you know, because I'm going to probably say it at some point, probably when I'm drunk. And I will work on not saying certain things. Like, some people, it's like, to me, it's the same as, like, swearing. If you, someone has mm-hmm. a problem with swearing, you probably shouldn't surround yourself with people who swear. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that that person's a bad person, necessarily. It's that, you know, you have a difference in what language means to you. Yeah. And so understanding what your boundaries are mm-hmm. um, and surrounding yourself with people who respect that, right. you may not share the same boundary. And I think that's a critical point to make, that we can X ourselves off from everybody because not everyone shares our boundaries. But mm-hmm. if they respect your boundaries... Yeah. And make a concerted enough effort to respect your boundaries. We are able to, you know, live together 
in peace and harmony. Because mm-hmm. not everyone's going to agree with us on everything. True. Very true. But it, the red flags is critical because Lord knows we have a problem understanding those in the community. Mm-hmm. And just what it, what is it that you are not going to do? What is it that yeah. is your limit? Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, not dating chads, <laughs> basically. I feel like in some ways that brings it kind of full circle in terms of starting the conversation about what are the barriers we still experience as a community, but now also looking at what are the problems still within the community that are putting barriers in place as well, because that's also a thing that we experience. For sure. We're at about wrap time already. That just flies by. And I'm so excited that you came here and are able to kind of share your story, your experience with us. It's great to hear all about all of that and shed some light on ace identity and experience with everyone so before we completely wrap up are there resources things that you think people should go check out go look up well number one the ace and grace instagram account and we just want to plug that right there um and i mean she does a great job of like really working down like what different terminology means and Mm -hmm. and great photos and too Mm -hmm. um there's the avon website um avon's it's We've kind of moved away from it to some degree with some people in the community because a lot of some of the things they put out are not exactly in line with where the majority of the community is. Uh, they still have some great content, and then you know just Google it. A lot of the a lot of the ACE spaces on Facebook are closed groups, okay, um, for obvious reasons. But you know Google. So can someone find those close yeah. closed groups by googling just kind of or probably searching Facebook. within Facebook? Yeah, asexual, a space, safe spaces within there. Yeah, safe a space is usually like one of the terms there. Okay, because <laughs> yeah. it rhymes. Yeah, it rhymes. Yeah, uh, and it's Google's your best friend, you know. Yeah, it's, it's not gonna kill you to yeah. Google something, and just you know keeping an open mind and remembering that you know we all have different values, we all have different what it means to us to do different things and recognizing that is critical. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Happy to be here. Connect with Beyond Queer Stories on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Queer Stories and on Twitter at Beyond Queer Pod. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, click the link on our Facebook or Instagram page or email us at beyondqueerstories at gmail.com. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please rate us and subscribe to help boost the podcast. Our podcast music is created by B. Steadwell. Check out her music, tour dates, and other queer art at bsteadwell.com. That's B-E-S-T-E-A-D-W-E-L-L.com. Beyond Queer Stories is produced and edited by Dawn Brown and recorded in the Cards Against Humanity podcast studio in Chicago, Illinois. Check out their products at cardsagainsthumanity.com. Talk to you all next week. Next time on Beyond Queer Stories. And all this happened at a time before the internet. These feelings and these, this understanding throughout my childhood. I'd heard of Renee Richards and Christine Jorgensen. I don't know how, I just know. Maybe they were on TV. I know that there was a story on 60 Minutes once or in a newspaper or in a book. But I had really no one to look to, no language on how to say who I was. And the societal shame surrounding what it meant to be someone like me. Bye.